Hello, everyone, and welcome to the City Baptist Church podcast, where it's our desire to help you find and follow Jesus. Our message today is from our current teaching series called Strangers and Pilgrims, uh, where we're going through the book of 1 Peter and just pulling out truth from the passages and seeing how they can apply in our lives today. Uh, we hope that the message is an encouragement to you and a blessing and just really something to aid you in your walk with God. We're going to continue, really it's a continuation of last week's message where we uh, really just covered a, a one verse in particular, 1 Peter 4, 7 last week. And we're going to continue the thoughts because really uh, the whole paragraph, the whole section is one continuing thought. Now, as we begin this morning, I want to remind us of the fact that as Christians today, we live, and I think we have a special recognition that we are living in the shadow of the end of all things. As Christians, there's a unique understanding that we have within us that we are in the shadow of the end of all things. I didn't want to talk about it too much this morning, but this past week, some of the events that we've seen in the news has even just, I believe, revealed more and more how far away this world is from a godly morality. It's revealed even more how desperate people are and how much they are desperately trying to stay away from God, which tells us even more that we are living in the last days. But yet what we understand from the Bible is that even though we understand this today, some 2,000 years after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, the believers that were there, the disciples themselves who literally saw Jesus go up into heaven, they themselves understood. And the followers of Christ that actually saw Jesus face to face, they also understood that Jesus could return at any day. And so this has really been the mindset of Christians ever since that we have an understanding that Jesus could return. And you know what? That's a good thing. That's something that we look forward to. That's something that we celebrate, that Jesus could literally return at any moment. But unlike those in our world today that are walking about blindly, that are going through life without hope, we as Christians recognize that the return of Christ is not something that we fear, but it is something that we look forward to, and we recognize it in this way, that it motivates the believer, it motivates us as Christians to not just live for ourselves, but because we know Jesus is coming back, we know that our time is short, and so we understand that it motivates us then to live for others, to live, to, uh, to exude from our lives the things of God and the Word of God. And so that's what's so wonderful about the return of Christ, is that it, it motivates us to live as people of faith, people who are sharing their faith, because we recognize that the time of God's long-suffering is maybe not that much longer than where we're at right now. We talked about that last week, how God has been long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And the fact that Jesus has not returned until this point is evidence of his long-suffering. Paul talked about it in Romans chapter 13 when he's speaking about the end times. He said that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. He says, let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. See, Paul understood and he knew what we know today, and that is the fact that uh, Jesus is coming back. And so because Jesus is coming back, we need to wake up. We need to pay attention. We need to realize that uh, he uh, has something for us, and we should not live as people of the darkness, but we should live as people of the light. That's why Peter, as well, in his address to these scattered believers of the Roman Empire, included instructions how we are to live out our days on this earth in light of the soon return of Jesus Christ. 
That's why he started with this statement here and he said that, listen, Jesus is coming back. But then he continued on then to give us some instruction as to how we should live out our life. What our life looks like as a Christian in light of the return of Jesus. And uh, hey, Josh, my, uh, my controller's not working, so can you handle the slides for me? Cool. I had that verse. I was all excited it was going to be on the screen for you. And then, and then my phone says, slide change error. So anyway, that means it's not going to happen. So Josh has got it. There's Romans. Perfect. So let's pick up where we left off last week. Let's go to verse number 7, 1 Peter 4, verse 7. I want you to read this again with me. He says, but the end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. That means the culmination. That's not just a stopping point. That means the fulfillment of what we've been waiting for is about to come. We know that scripture tells us that when Jesus ascended up into heaven, that was the beginning of the last times. And so when he returns, that's the culmination. And so Peter says, the culmination is coming. Jesus is returning. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Now last week we saw that Peter's ultimate prerequisite for us of living in the last days was that we would have a serious faith that Jesus is returning soon. And this is not a, some kind of like zealous, you know, sign-holding kind of faith where we're standing on the side of the road saying the end is near, turn or burn. You know, it's not kind of that mindset where we have this just sort of outlandish approach to it. But what it means is that we are living in watchful, prayerful pursuit of righteousness and of God-honoring living. That's what it means. To live in, in, in the knowledge that Christ is going to return, it means that we have a mindset, uh, that we have a direction, that we have a focus, that we are needing to grow and we need to live out the Christian life in expectation of the return of Jesus. And these are very practical areas of life that he's given to us. Notice there in that verse, he says uh, that we are to be sober-minded. He also talks about how we are to... Uh, be watchful in our prayer. And last week's message was really, that was the main focus of the message was on that verse. But as he continues, as we're going to continue today in verse number eight, what we're going to see is that he begins to give us even some more practical areas that we as Christians can give ourselves to wholeheartedly. And here's one of the great things, and we're going to see this today. The great thing about it is that what we are to give ourselves to are aspects that develop Christian relationships. Now, I think that's great. Jesus is saying, I'm coming back, so focus on these important relationships, and that would be your brothers and sisters in Christ, people who know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so we're going to see that. Let's begin here with verse number eight. He says, so he says, be sober-minded, watch unto prayer, and then he says, and above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. An evidence that we are living in light of the return of Christ is that we give a priority to what God prioritizes, and here we see the priority of loving one another. And so I have it as point number two in our notes, because last week we did point number one, but point number two is to love one another. Let's look at that verse again. Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. I want you to notice that that word that is translated for us, charity, is the word agape, which is a word for love. In, a, in essence, what it means, this kind of love that we're to have one to another is a love that is in action. This is a love that actually does something about the love. It's not just like, yeah, I, I love whatever I love. No, this is I love, and so because I love, I'm going to put action behind that love. And so he, it's described here as a fervent kind of love, which that means an earnest or a without ceasing love. And then notice how it also says, among ourselves. Do you notice that there? It says, among ourselves. That means 
between fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, this is where this eccentric, or I say eccentric is not the right word, exceptional, let's use that word, that's a better word, exceptional love is to be displayed between one another. And this is the amazing thing about it here. He says, listen, you're to have this actionable love and it's to be one between another. Now, we actually covered this in depth a few weeks ago on our Wednesday night study. And I love how they're sort of like linking together right here. But they're, but they're working together the Wednesday night and right now. And we talked about this quite a bit. So I'm not going to go over it in, in its entirety. But an understanding we need to have is that we as Christians are to have a continuing, intentional, actionable love for one another. It is a kind of love that is reoccurring. It's not like a one-time thing. I showed you love, remember, last August? Remember that? Okay, we're good. No, no, no. It's a recurring love. It is a uh, energized love. It is intentional. It is energetic. It's the kind of love that overcomes hurts. It's the kind of love that thinks better thoughts towards one another. It's the kind of love that goes out of its way to show kindness. It's the kind of love that helps the weak. It's the kind of love that lifts up the sorrowing. And it's the kind of love that blesses those that need help. This is an incredible kind of love. And here's something I want you to notice, though, in the verse, because this is what always gets our attention. Notice what he says here. For, for love, charity, shall, this is the interesting part of the verse, shall cover the multitude of sins. Now, this is a really interesting phrase here. This is a really interesting way of putting this, and I, I think it's really important that we understand this because sometimes people uh, have a misunderstanding of it. In fact, this is a quote of Proverbs chapter 10, verse number 12. This is a quote from the book of Proverbs. So what does this mean? Because here's how some people interpret this passage. Maybe you have interpreted the passage this way. Some people interpret this phrase to mean, well, because I am showing love, therefore I'm going to hide somebody else's sin or my own sin. I'm going to pretend that it doesn't exist. Because I have love for somebody and they're maybe in sin or doing something wrong, I'm just going to pretend like it's not actually happening because I love them. Other people interpret it this way, and this is a wrong interpretation, that if I'm showing love to somebody, if I'm, therefore, if I'm then sinning with them or I'm sinning against them, well, then it's okay because love, right? <laughs> because I'm, I'm being Christ-like, so I'm going to pretend like everything is okay. That is not what this means. This is not, oh, I'm going to love everybody, so I'm going to cover up and pretend like their sin doesn't exist. That's not what it means. What this passage means is that genuine love for one another that he's talking about. Remember, he's talking about the context of we're sharing and showing genuine love to each other. When we're showing love to one another, there's a unique thing that happens here. And here's what happens. Notice. It means that when we genuinely love one another, guess what we're not doing? We're not hating each other. <laughs> is hate a sin? Okay. Is comparison, comparing ourselves with each other, is that a sin? Yeah. Looking down on somebody else, is that a sin? Thinking you're better than somebody else, is that a sin? Having pride, is that a sin? Yes. But if you have genuine love towards somebody, that sin evaporates because you have genuine love. Then therefore that sin is, is gone. It's gone. As well, it means that when you love, it means you're living in a forgiving spirit and you're not walking around bitter and unforgiving, which would be sin. It means that when you love, you're more likely to reach out to those that would harm you or do evil towards you. You're more likely to reach out to those who do not know Christ and try to share Christ with them rather than mocking them and pushing them aside and saying, like, I don't want anything to do with them. Therefore, love, genuine love, covers a multitude of sins. You see what he's saying here? He's talking about it in the context of love. So we can't just take a phrase out and be like, love covers a multitude of sins. If you loved me, you wouldn't care what I did. 
right? If you loved me, then I can do whatever I want, and if you love me, then it's totally fine. No, no, that's not what he's talking about. Peter is very specific about sin, isn't he? He says, hey, if you need to change, you need to change. We talked about that uh, the other week. What he is saying here is so specific in that, listen, the love that is genuine does cover a multitude of sins, and it's all connected back to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verses 1 and 2, and I want you to see this verse with me. Because here's a connecting point where he says, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. You guys remember that? He said, Arm yourselves with the same mind, for he that has suffered in the flesh hath what? Ceased from sin. Now, you remember that whole message? I don't know if you do. If you need to go back and listen to the podcast or watch it on YouTube, you can. We cover that in depth. The idea that when we are pursuing Christ, there's not a draw, there's not a pull for sin anymore in our lives. Verse 2 says that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. So here when he's talking about the covering of sins, he's talking about the ability that believers have to forgive one another because of God's forgiveness in us. And because we dwell and we walk in the Spirit, we don't have this pull towards the flesh anymore. We don't have this pull towards sin. And so when we're showing genuine love in the same way, we're not tempted to sin against one another because we're loving one another. Does that make sense? I feel like it doesn't. Does it make sense? Okay, okay. All right, okay, all right, one, we're good. One made sense. A few of you made sense. A few of you kind of looked, you moved your eyes shiftily when I looked at you, so. All right, come and talk to me after. We'll work it through. (laughs) I think you understand, though. The point is, is that the heart of a person who's expectant of the return of Christ is going to live in this way. If we're expectant that Christ is returning, we then don't live our lives as if we have an affinity to live together. We realize that our time together is short, so we need to exemplify the love of Christ. We know that our local body has a great commission to fill, and if we're just fighting against each other and we're just not connected with each other, then it's not going to go as God desires for it to go. And so love needs to be that primary characteristic. And this is what we need to focus on is loving one another. So Peter says, listen, okay, above all things, you got to have that fervent love to each other. But then he continues to another practical aspect, and it's number three, which is to show hospitality. So he shows an evidence here that you are living in the last days, an evidence that you know that Christ is going to return, is that you're going to live with awareness. That's our first one. You're going to love one another, and then you're going to show hospitality. Look at verse number nine. Use hospitality one to another without, say that word with me, grudging. You know what grudging means? Without a grudge. (laughs) That's what it means. Without being upset about it. So he says we are to show hospitality without being upset about it or holding it against other people. Now, let's again put ourselves in the context of this first century church. What's happening here? Well, we know that Christians were in an overwhelming minority. And it cannot be overstated how important hospitality was. Not only just for safety. If you were traveling from town, if you had to go somewhere for work, to know there was another believer that you could go and connect with, uh, just for your own security. Uh, Hotels, what we would call a hotel today, an inn in those days, especially in the Roman uh, culture, were very expensive. They were very immoral. A lot of bad stuff happened at them. It really wasn't a great place for Christians to be. And so having this hospitality where they would open their home and care for one another was a very, very important thing. And guess what? That same thought carries all the way through to us today. Now, it looks differently uh, for the church in Vancouver, but it would look very different for a church in a foreign country. But yet the point remains is hospitality is something that is an evidence of a church and of an individual that is expecting the return of Jesus Christ. See, hospitality is a heart behavior that is commanded and it is commended all throughout Scripture. 
Uh, Moses included it in the law in Exodus and in Deuteronomy. Jesus enjoyed hospitality when he was on this earth. The apostles uh, uh, enjoyed it as well. We see that in the book of Acts, in the book of Philemon. But ultimately, here's what we need to understand about hospitality, is that human hospitality is a reflection of God's hospitality to us. The fact that God lowered himself and said, hey, sinful mankind, I want to commune with you. I want to I have a relationship with you. That's the ultimate picture of hospitality, and it's also a picture of hospitality that we can understand today. Now, this is really important for us because I think sometimes people, when you talk about hospitality, they immediately think of entertaining. So let's, let's define those two here real quickly, okay? Cheerful, joyful, God-blessed hospitality is to simply share what you have with somebody else. It is not social entertaining. See, oftentimes we get those two confused, and we think of hospitality, and we think of, oh, I have to entertain people. And so we think that, you know, guess what? Our house must be spotless before anyone can come over. Your shoes need to be put away before anyone can come over, right? And we think that, uh, oh, the food must be very well prepared. We must cater it in, you know, and, or, or, or it must be, you know, I have to have the entire day. I have to take two days off of work. I have to prepare all this food. I have to make sure there's enough food for everybody. I have to know exactly what everybody wants, all of their dietary restrictions. I have to have everything laid out. It has to be all set up perfectly. So when they come over, you know, I'm just going to take care of all their needs. Of course, the host at the same time, though they're stressed out about the food and everything else, they have to be well-mannered and very kind and very accommodating. And just so, and everyone just comes over. Here's the, here's the thing. Listen, entertaining focuses on the host. Hospitality focuses on the guest. True hospitality focuses on the needs of the person that's coming over. Whether it's a place to stay, it's food, a listening ear, acceptance, that is the primary concern. And here's the great thing, church, I want to just tell you right now. Hospitality can happen in a messy house. I want you to know that. Hospitality can happen in a small apartment. Hospitality can happen in a one-bedroom basement suite. Hospitality does not have to be this show. It is simply a place where you gather together. It can happen around a dinner table where their main dish is canned soup and bread and butter. You have to heat the soup up. I would encourage you to do that, but, uh, you know, not just four spoons and a can of soup. That would be kind of gross, but... <laughs> Hospitality is not showing off what we have. It's not being the hostess with the mostess. <laughs> it is a strong expression of the love that we've already talked about. You know, church, some of my favorite memories of this journey that we've been on together here at City Baptist the last seven and a half years, some of my favorite memories are simply been spending time with you at my home, just spending time with you at your home, just hanging out, eating popcorn, okay. Just, just spend a time together. You know, I, I can't remember. I know some of you have entertained our family, and some of you have been so kind to, to people in the church, and you put on some great meals, and those are so fantastic. And I love that, and I love it. Some people are very gifted in that way. But some of my greatest memories are not in the meals that I ate, but it's in the time that I spent together. And that's what we need to remember, is that the local body of, of Christ that are showing genuine love is where there's just a mutual connection. Just, hey, just come over. Come over after church. Hey, come over on Thursday night. I don't care if you don't get there till 9 o'clock. And, uh, well, I do care if you come to my house at 9 o'clock, but you know what I mean. I'm kidding. You come over late, whatever. Just hang out. Just spend some time together. You know, that's a really incredible aspect of the body of Christ that we're to be showing. And he says, as we know that Christ is returning, 
this should be even more so in our lives. More so in our lives. It's a sign that we are expectantly waiting the return of Christ. And did you know that the relationships that you build here on this earth are relationships that are going to continue in heaven? You're building eternal relationships. Now, some people ask that question. Pastor, uh, will my wife be able to recognize me in heaven? Yes. (laughs) Hey, let me ask you this. Did the disciples recognize Jesus in his glorified body? Did they? They did, didn't they? Why are there scripture passages that talk about being reunited in heaven? Why could David say about the child that, was, that, that died, the baby that died, how could he say, I know that I'll be reunited with him in heaven one day? Do you think, one, one author put it this way, he says, do you think that when we get in heaven and glorified bodies that we'll be dumber than we are right now? <laughs> That's basically what he said. No, there will be a recognition there. Now, we won't have the sorrow, we won't have the, the, the guilt of our past, praise God for that. We'll be glorified, we'll be reunited. And yes, we will recognize people. And so guess what? You're going to get to heaven and some of your church families from City Baptist Church are going to be there. And I believe that you're going to remember and have those great memories of hospitality and of fellowship and of joy around the gospel because what we're experiencing here in this earth and this life is something that can only be connected to the heavenly. That is why Jesus said, and he gave to us this church. That's why he gave to us a local body of believers so that we could experience just a taste of what is to come. And part of that happens because of biblical hospitality. We aren't going to take anything of this life with us except our relationship with God and the relationships that we've built here. And Peter says, listen, if you're living in light of Christ's return, you're going to love one another, you're going to show genuine love, and you're also going to have hospitality one to another. So I encourage you, think of ways that you can be hospitable to each other. Think of ways that you can connect with somebody. Maybe you've been living in, type of, in, in a type of environment where you're like, man, I can't, you know, if, if anyone saw, you know, my place, I don't want anybody to come over. <laughs> or, if, or if anyone, you know, I, I, I can't get the house perfect enough for anyone to come over, so I just not, I'm not going to do it. That's not the point. The point is that we're to just spend time with each other without a grudge, without being forced into it, or without a poor attitude, but in fact, looking forward to and recognizing that God has commanded us to do something. Man, that builds such a great community. And that's what I love about our church. I love it when, when I hear from you like, oh, I had so-and-so over this week, and this person had somebody over this week, and this person had somebody over this week. And I, I love to hear about that kind of stuff because that's genuine fellowship and genuine connection that's happening. And that is an evidence that you are focusing on the things of Christ in this life. And so I challenge you with that today. If you're not hospitable if you've never experienced that or you've never involved yourself in that, think of ways that you can do it. It doesn't always mean, by the way, that someone has to come to your house. It could just be, hey, let's meet up, let's get a coffee, let's spend some time together. That's a great thing that you can do as a Christian. So he says here, be hospitable. And then fourthly, I want you to see this. The last one is to simply serve one another. Serve one another. Let's look at verse 10 and 11. Peter says, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, in whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I want you to notice here how Peter emphasized what Paul spent so much uh, much time teaching about, that every person, okay, Every single follower of Jesus Christ, if you are a saved person, 
You have a spiritual gift. The word here where he says the gift, that is charisma. That is a spiritual gift. And these are gifts that are given to us by God. And the gifts, I want you to notice, are not for personal glory, but they are for ministering one to another. Notice there that first line of the verse. He says, you've received this gift, and it is for ministering it to one another. In fact, what he says here is that a person who is a good steward... That means like a good manager. You you manage things well. If you're going to manage your life well, it means that you are going to be a person who recognizes this truth, you recognize your gifts, and you make sure that you're using your giftedness to minister the grace of God. Now again, I'm saying this again, but we covered this in depth in our midweek Bible study just a few weeks ago, uh, spiritual gifts and our place in the body and all the different gifts that God has given to us. I have a list up here of some passages that you can look up uh, if you want to just quickly write them down uh, where you can look up and see different spiritual gifts. Now there are some gifts that were temporal, sign gifts for a time. There are others that are eternal that continue out through the church age. And I understand that if you need some clarification, I'd love to help you with that. And we've talked about it in depth, so I'm not going to go into all of the different giftedness and spiritual gifts that are there, but the point that I want to tell you is that you have giftedness from God. Think about that for a moment. God placed you in this local body for a purpose, and the spiritual gifts that he has given to you are for a reason, and he wants you to exercise those gifts in order to minister within the body of Christ. Now, there's things like spiritual gifts tests. How many of you have taken a spiritual gifts test? Anyone? I've taken like eight of them. I'm joking. (laughs) I've taken them. Now, I just want to tell you this. There's no computer that can tell you what your spiritual gift is, okay? There's no chart that can tell you what your spiritual gift is. But a way that it does help us kind of understand how God created us, some of those tests. Those are great, and it's good to know. But the point about spiritual gifts is this. Your gifts are best seen when you are filled with the Spirit of God and serving somebody else. That's how you know your spiritual gifts are being exercised. And that's why each of us must recognize humbly that we have a partnership with God. We have a place in the body of Christ, and we are here for a purpose, and your gifts can and your gifts should be used effectively. Now, Peter doesn't go into major detail here, but he divides them into two different categories. I want you to look at the verse here again in verse 10, 11. Here in verse 11, he says, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do as the ability which God giveth. Those who serve in the church by speaking and teaching. So there's two different uh, uh, sets here. There's the speeching, a speeching, that's not a word, is it? The teaching gifts, I'm sorry, speaking and teaching. That's what I was trying to say. Uh, Speaking and teaching. And then there's also serving gifts or ministering gifts. So there's these two different categories here. So let's break them down real quickly. The person who has the gift of teaching, the gift of speaking, which, by the way, I believe that that is something that is affirmed through your life. It's affirmed through, uh, through your testimony. We know that there's, of course, requirements for speaking and teaching in a church situation. And so that obviously comes into play here. But for a person that has that giftedness, if you have an opportunity to teach or to preach, notice that it must be of the oracles of God. Do you see that there? That is the Old Testament. That is the teachings of God. That is the word of God is what we understand it to be. So what he is saying here is that if you have this giftedness, the only way this giftedness is exercised in the right way is when it is teaching and preaching the word of God. That's what it is. That giftedness is the word of God. It is not your opinions. It is not uh, something that you think somebody else should do. He says if you have that gift, it is only exercised in the body if it is surrounding and speaking the oracles, the teachings, the word of God. So understand that. If anybody ever comes to you and says, hey, I want to I speak into your life. You ever had somebody say that to you before? Like, oh, okay, what would you like to say? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> 
Sometimes people say that. I want to speak into your life. Listen, I'm all for somebody encouraging somebody with the word of God, but make sure it's the word of God that they're speaking to your life, okay? Understand that. He says, if you are going to use that gift, it must be of the word of God. So that's very, very clear. And this is a very serious thing for people that preach and teach. You've got to be mindful at the end of the day, we are engaged in something that is beyond us. It is the grace of God that we would be allowed, and it is the grace of God that I would be able to stand in front of you and proclaim the word of God to you. That is a wonderful gift. We have to recognize it for what it is. It is a gift, and it is because, though, of the word of God and of God's grace. Now, in the same way, the giftedness of abilities here that are centered on helping and serving the church also have a responsibility. The responsibility that those other giftedness have, whether it's the gift of helps or of encouragement or of giving, whatever those other giftedness are, and there's many of them, you need to recognize that you also have a responsibility, and the responsibility is, is that you do not do it in your own strength, but in the strength and the energy that God supplies to you. I think sometimes we desire certain spiritual gifts, and then we try to do it in our own strength. And then you know what that does? That just frustrates you. It discourages you. It makes life hard because you're trying to serve outside of how God has gifted you and prepared you. But yet, if you've ever experienced what it's like to let your gifts flow and serve in that way, and God's Spirit is is working through you, you know how life-giving that is, how incredible it is. And so the responsibility is that we know how God has gifted us and how God wants to use us, and then we serve Him specifically in that way. And again, remember, it is all for one purpose, and this is what I love, so that God would be given the glory through Christ Jesus. You notice that there at the end? He wraps it all up. He just says, listen, this isn't about you. It isn't about even your giftedness. The point of it all is that God in all things would be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be what? Praise and dominion forever. This is what is so amazing here, is that when we use our gifts as God directs us to, and I tell you what, your spiritual gifts are used to build the body of Christ, to encourage one another, to build up the church, to fulfill the Great Commission. Here's what happens. God sees, or or the world will see Jesus Christ in us. They will recognize that, and he will get the glory. And that's what our lives are all about. Our lives are all about the glory of God through his people. It reminds me of Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, that tells us, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and what? Glorify your Father, which is in heaven. And so Peter here, as he closes out this section, is thinking again of what started the whole thing. He's thinking about the return of Christ. And as he sits there in Rome, as he's writing to these scattered believers, he's thinking to them, he's thinking to himself, if Jesus returns in my lifetime, what do I want to devote myself to? What do I want to give my life to? And that's what I want to encourage you with today. Listen, if Jesus is going to return in our lifetime, and I believe it, I believe he is, the question is, what are we going to devote our life to? What are we going to give our hearts to? And I'll tell you what, it's not what you think. It's not what we would normally think. Have you ever done the uh, thought exercise before? Have you ever thought, if I had one week to live, what would I do, right? What is my bucket list? And you're like, okay, how much can I max out my credit cards, right? You're thinking about, you know, uh, some of you might have been thinking what crime you can get away with. I hope not. I hope not. <laughs> but you think, what am I going to do? And this is how the world thinks, right? They think, oh, I'm going to go and do this, and I'm going to just give myself to this pleasure. I'm going to spend this. I'm going to buy that. I'm going to do all of these things. Peter says this, listen, 
if you don't have any time left in this life, if you just had a week to live, if you had a day to live, if you had a year to live, if you knew that Jesus was going to come back in the next five years, what would you do? Here's what he says. Be sober-minded. Don't be chaotic. You know, our world knows. You know, the unsafe person knows that they don't have much time left. Did you know that? They know it. That's why they live the way that they live. In chaos, in fear, just doing anything they can to try to find satisfaction in this world. But for the Christian, we know Jesus is coming back, and so we live sober-mindedly. We live watchful in prayer. We know that we must then be people of sincere and genuine love to each other. We know that hospitality is something that we should be known by. The church should be known as a place where someone can come and be welcomed and encouraged and helped and, and, and needs met because of biblical hospitality. And it's a place and it's a focus for us that we would be caught up in spirit-filled service one to another. Now think about it. Peter is writing to people who are being persecuted and killed for their faith. They're being literally killed for their faith. And he says to them, this is how you should live. How much more should we today, who are not in fear of our lives, are we? We're not in fear of our lives for becoming followers of, of Jesus Christ. How much more then in a free society, in a place where we can worship God freely, how much more should we be living in this way? Because our society, our society, listen, our society is, is, is fast is fast moving further and further away from the things of God. And, it, and if there's ever a time, it's now for the church to stand strong and, and hold on to these truths and recognize that this is what God has called us to. This is what he desires for his people, that there be a unique fellowship, there be a uniqueness about the body that points others to Jesus Christ and gives God the glory. You know, sometimes I wonder the impact if we did live in that day where people were being martyred for their faith. Now, I'll tell you what, around the world, people are being martyred for their faith. But I'm saying in Canada, in our situation right here, we know from history that whenever someone was martyred for their faith, that someone, that would always point people to Christ. People would say, man, if that guy was willing to die for that, I want what he had. It's amazing. Today, what do we have? What do we have as a testimony? Well, we have our lives. We have the Spirit of God working through us, and we have the church that Jesus died and gave his life for so that we could be a lighthouse for him. And so we need to commit to this body. We need to commit to the local body, being a part of it, being visible, being active, and working out our faith through this calling here. And to me, if you're ever at the place in your life where you're like, what do I need to focus on? What, what, should, I, what should I pursue as a Christian? There's four great thoughts right here that Peter gave to us. If you're living with an expectant return of Christ, we're going to live soberly. We're going to be watchful in our prayer. We're going to be aware individuals. We're going to have sincere love. We're going to show hospitality. And we're going to be caught up in serving the Lord through the power of the Spirit so that he would get the glory. That's what it's all about. God would get the glory. We hope that today's message was a help to your relationship with God. To stay connected with us, you can like us on Facebook or give us a follow on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will uniquely bless and grow you as you pursue His will for your life.